Good evening and welcome to Have We Got Planning News for You. Thank you everybody for joining us both on the live stream and uh, subsequent viewers on YouTube, Spotify, etc. Um, can I make the usual reminder first up um, to uh, consider making a donation to charity in lieu of a registration fee? Um, there's a range of charities we now support, which we put on our website. Um, they include, but are not limited to, Shelter for the Housing Crisis, Brian May's Save Me Trust for the Wildlife Crisis, and the GoFundMe Ukraine page for the uh, Ukrainian crisis, but a range of other charities too, including in relation to the energy crisis on our webpage. We are um, extremely pleased this evening um, to welcome Grant Butterworth. Grant, uh, good evening, um, Head of Planning at Leicester City Council. Um, can I start by asking you the usual questions? Where where are you at the moment? Um, what, if anything, are you drinking? And what have you chosen our theme for this evening? Um, well, thanks very much for having me. Um, I am drinking a nice glass of uh, Sauvignon Blanc, um, half full at the moment. I um, like to try and keep my glass half full at all times. Yeah. Um, I'm actually in uh, West Bridgeford, near Nottingham uh, at the moment. Um, I've uh, lived and worked in Nottingham for quite a long time. Um, uh, and in terms of my theme, um, I, I struggled with this a bit, but I thought it'd be nice to try and choose something that was reflective of the challenges that, that face us. So my theme um, is, uh, I guess, difficult planning choices. Um, and I, I don't really can see that as that popped up. So I'm from Rochdale originally. And I, and I guess um, planning for me is about taking difficult decisions. And I when I was back home at Christmas, um, this space, uh, public space in front of the town hall, I just thought it was a remarkable investment in, in in front of one of the best buildings in the country. However, my dad and his mates in Weatherspoons think it's dreadful because they, uh, they it's lost lots of car parking and it's a real problem in the area. So I guess I'm hoping that in in due course, the the planners who've made that brave decision will uh, will. Will will get the benefit of my dad and his mates' uh, a, a, a approval, uh, but I think um, at the moment it's a bit contentious. Amen to that, Grant. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Um, your games, your interview is going to be led by by Sasha in the second half of the show. As I always say um, to our guests, no obligation to comment on anything in the first half, but equally, if that piques your interest, do do jump in. Um, and now to introduce the panel, Mary. Um, you're somewhere different. To Good evening. Good evening. Good not evening. Not in, not in um, Tangling either. No, I'm in Leeds. I'm in the room of a, in the Marriott Hotel in Leeds where the snow is sort of trying to come down, but not, not quite. And I was running with the Brave Decisions theme. And because, of course, I'm going to another rugby match tomorrow, I brought this with me to Leeds <laughs> because I'm... On the basis of Steve Borthwick's selection. So, go in tomorrow. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Great lovely, to lovely to see you all, and uh, and you especially, Grant. Thank you. Uh, we all seem to be in different places this evening. Paul, um, where are you? You're, um, you're, you're so embarrassed by where you are, you're, you're obliquing it. No, I'm at home. Um, I'm, in terms of brave planning, so I've spent the last couple of weeks uh, at... Uh, at, at Inquiry in Durham, which is only about 20 minutes down the road from me. So I thought at five past five, I can just about make it home, which would normally be 20 minutes. And in the sleet and the rain and the uh, the traffic, uh, I was cutting it fine. and thought I might have to be pulling over to the, onto the hard shoulder. But no, I'm here. I'm I'm at my home. 
Um, and in terms of the theme, uh, I was told it was being brave. That's what I'd taken from our meeting, uh, Grant. So I thought I'd, I'd have, this is the the Spitfire, or the model of the Spitfire. You can see it's broken as we moved house. Uh, my wife bought me a, uh, a, a flight in a two-seater Spitfire. Where I got the opportunity to fly it about four years ago. Uh, over the White Cliffs of Dover, I did a victory roll over the uh, the Battle of Britain Memorial, and I've flown a Spitfire. That's the bravest thing I've done. I thought you were going to say the bravest thing you've done was to embark upon your renovation project in your beautiful house. I can imagine that. It's the year 2056, and all's halfway through the renovations. <laughs> well, my, my midlife crisis is buying a listed building and then renovating it, Charlie. Your, yours is buying another car. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about cars. We're not allowed to talk about those. Um Sasha, you're in a hotel room somewhere too. I am. I think obviously hotel designers love green because Mary's in Leeds, you're somewhere else, and I'm in York. I've actually got York Minster behind me. Um, But I can't talk about planning brave decisions because, of course, all my cases are such slam dunkers in favour of my clients (laughs) that I don't really relate to that. But my brave decision, unlike Mary's chosen Twickenham, I'm on my way to Bonnie, Scotland, to support ah. the mighty Scots beating the French on Saturday. So that's my brave decision, <laughs> rather than watching England lose on Saturday. I'm, I've, I fear, but we'll see. I hope not, but we'll see. Good to see you and Chris back at home. Yeah, I'm at home, just as Paul is at home. Um, and so I'm in a listed building that somebody else renovated, Paul. That That is a lot easier as a route. Um I'm being brave. Look, I've got a log burner on. They're going to ban those soon, aren't they? <laughs> so that's brave. Um, and also, uh, I have this on my walls. Lord Denning, I thought he was brave. He often um, tried to find the right result rather than what the law said. Lawyers making the right results happen um, and judges as well. Uh, I'm here with Presumption and uh, he's being very brave. He's trying quad biking. <laughs> well i'm i'm yeah i'm somewhere in oxfordshire i won't say exactly where i think there's quite a few of the team i'm working with watching this and i i think they would agree it was a very brave decision of us all not to check out of our hotel and stay somewhere else um <laughs> it, it's a lovely place really anyway <laughs> um anyway without further ado um Chris, you're going to introduce the news so over to you I am. I am. There's lots happening. First up, uh, we've had um, an edition of the PPG update and uh, that chapter 68 concerning housing supply and delivery. We've got a new paragraph 55 and that tells us that both the five year and the four year supply should be demonstrated against the um, authorities five year housing land supply requirements. So um, we've got that very clearly stated in the PPG. Uh, we also have the second round of transitional arrangements concerning the Lura that's come in. And um, we have now, it's enacting various provisions, Section 94, National Development Management Policies. Uh, it tells us what they are, although that isn't very illuminating when you actually look at it. Uh, street view, street votes um, are being enacted, but and like many of this, these things, it's all subject to regulations which haven't yet been brought into force. But something close to my heart is uh, Section 123, and that's in relation to uh, self-build and custom-build housing. And these are the new regulations that say that um, a new permission uh, only counts towards the register of self-build and custom-build housing 
if it is explicitly stated uh, in the um, in the planning permission itself. So it's no good council. This is to get around the problem of councils just saying, not yours, Grant, I'm sure, but saying um, anything that is smaller than 10 units is automatically self-built when it patently isn't. Um, and also um, the provisions relating to um, uh, cumulative unmet need for self-build, if you don't meet the need in the particular period that's uh, covered by the base years, then that is accumulated. So it's like having a shortfall for self-build and means that more and more of the demand will probably be met. Previously, you just dropped off the list. Um, and then uh, biodiversity net gain, obviously Sasha covered this. This comes in on um, on the 12th of February and the larger schemes, 2nd of April for smaller schemes. But interestingly, as uh, Angus Walker has noted, um, it doesn't come in for development consent orders not until November 2025. So um, that provision being kept away uh, from DCOs for nationally significant infrastructure projects. And then finally, Michael Gove today um, acknowledging that affordable housing registered providers are under a great deal of pressure at the moment. Um, that is causing a lot of difficulties with the delivery of housing and indeed on cross-subsidised sites. So um, at least the Secretary of State is recognising the problems with registered providers at the moment. And that is the news. Thanks very much indeed, Chris. Um, now, I'm going to take the first case, uh, and it's, uh, it's a decision uh, dated the 31st of January, refusing an appeal um, by Wolf Asset Management against the decision of Airwash Borough Council for an outline scheme of up to 196 dwellings um, in... Um, place called Stanton Dale. And I think that's come up on the screen now. Um, and uh, the the site was on an area of Greenfield, which uh, wasn't Greenbelt, but was proposed in an emerging all strategy review to be included within the Greenbelt. Um, there were um, six main issues defined uh, by the inspector, uh, which included locational sustainability, impact on character appearance and landscape, impact on uh, designated heritage assets, uh, whether the proposal would undermine the plan-making process of the emerging core strategy review, whether it would um, be contrary to the emerging core strategy review, and if so, what uh, weight should be given to that, um, and various other uh, points. It's fair to say the inspector didn't like the scheme. Um, he basically found against the appellants for um, almost all the reasons uh, relied upon by the council. It, it's a long decision, and rather than talk you through each aspect of it, I'm going to draw attention to four features of the decision which seem to me to be of particular interest uh, and let you read, those who are interested, read the rest of it in your own time. The first point of interest is um, the inquiry was held on the 9th to 11th and 15th to the 16th of August 2023. The site visit was on the 17th of August 2023, but the decision not issued until January 2024. And uh, I mean, it's in no way a criticism of, of the inspector himself, but there does seem at the moment to be a bit of a pattern of appeal decisions, both inquiries and hearings, taking considerably longer than historically they have, and dare I say they're meant to take post-hearing stroke inquiry until the decision is issued. Certainly, might, I've had one come out this week where the, the hearing was in September. Um, there's various others where the inquiries were in September, October. Uh, undetermined, etc. Given the the pace at which uh, uh, hearings and inquiries come on, in position of dates, people losing 
their representation, etc. Um, it's a little unfortunate that they're taking so long to come forward. Um, is there a problem in the system? Is there a lack of resources, etc.? Who knows? But it does seem to me to be a systemic issue at the moment with the inspectorate, and this this decision is illustrated illustrative of that. If I was the appellant in that case, I'd be a little bit miffed if if I'd had to wait um, some six months to, to to have a decision of this of this nature. Um, the second point relates to sustainability, and at paragraph forty seven of the decision, um, the inspector considers the um, the test in what was then um, paragraph 109 of the framework. I think that's why the old numbers has just been changed. Anyway, where there's reference to a genuine uh, choice of transport uh, modes. And the appellant had relied upon that, saying, well, all we need to do is provide a choice. You can't force people to drive by a car. Particular modal splits aren't necessary. And he said this, well, whilst it's correct that the requirement is for a genuine choice, that shouldn't be taken to mean that the site meets the test simply because it's theoretically possible for some people who have a few to undertake a journey in a sustainable means. Um, the the objective of reducing reliance on the private car, etc., will be difficult to achieve unless the choice in question is one that a reasonable number of people generally and realistically are, are likely and able to make. He didn't go on to say what a reasonable number meant, but that's an interesting uh, statement of principle. Some, some of you will agree, some of you will disagree with that, but it's interesting to see him grapple with what paragraph 109 means. Um, then on prematurity, um, paragraph 119 of, of the decision deals with that. And the, the expected approach to prematurity was given um, the uh, the fact that the site was in an area that was supposed to be included within the green belt uh, and, was, and that that inclusion of, of areas such as this within the green belt were, um, was quite a fundamental part of the plan. If the appeal was allowed... He thought it was highly probable that the council would need to return to an earlier stage of the plan preparation work to reconsider some aspects of the of the strategy of the plan, the settlement hierarchy. And that was what he found to be the prejudice to the plan. We're told, obviously, by the framework that you have to show that the plan-making process would be undermined to found a complaint of, of um, prematurity. And it was the fact that they'd probably have to go back a step or two in the plan-making process in light of the, uh, the grant of permission that, that was the prejudice. So, again, a quite interesting uh, formulation uh, of, of what prejudice in the context of prematurity uh, is. Again, some will agree, some will disagree with it, but it's, it's interesting to see him grapple with the point of principle. Uh, and then uh, lastly, in um, right at the end, when he's the inspector doing the planning balance, uh, in the context of a five-year housing land supply of 2.65 years, um, the inspector gives moderate weight to the delivery of market housing by the scheme. One might find that a little surprising. Um, the basis on which the inspector does that is to say that um, the, the benefit of new housing through the scheme is countered by the need to ensure new housing is sustainable, uh, which he found this wasn't. Um, but he later goes on to weigh sustainability against um the uh, this scheme and this does come up in time to time in appeals and it always seemed to me that one doesn't reduce the amount of weight to a benefit because of some disbenefit only then to weigh the reduced benefit against the disbenefit again because that's actually double counting the disbenefit um, so um, that seems to me to be a, a, a questionable dare I say with the greatest respect approach to the uh, the planning balance I doubt it will make a difference in that case because 
the scheme was completely slaughtered by the decision. So it doesn't seem to me to be likely to to found a legal challenge. But um, I was certainly with generally caution against that decision makers and indeed those acting for appellants and uh, and others uh, discounting or reducing the weight to be given to a benefit by reference to disbenefit. Keep the benefits on one side of the scales and the and the disbenefits on the other. Uh, seems to me the, the more sensible way of dealing with it. Anyway, that's um, that's the airwash case. And now um, I think we go to Mary, who's going to take us to um, from Derbyshire to St Albans. Indeed. I'm going to take you to Coley Heath and another uh, unsuccessful um, decision, but this time in the green belt. And can I just say, Charlie, in defence of pins, don't forget that um, because of the introduction of the new PP, uh, uh, sorry, the MPPF, uh, you know, there's been this process of letter writing to everyone saying, you know, uh, uh, giving people a chance to make reps. So that's that has undoubtedly held up um, uh, uh, d- appeal decisions being issued. Um, I would say, although so, they might expect a decision by before December if they had an inquiry in August. Well, may- maybe. So, but I, in fairness, this is an example of a. a, a Application for up to 150 dwellings refused in May 23, inquiry September 23, um, around a correspondence and indeed a, uh, a statement of common ground between the appellant uh, and the um, council about the effect of the latest version of the MPPF. Um, so, uh, and you can see that this is an appeal by Vistry Homes, and you can see that we had a very, they had a very experienced inspector. Um, dealing with this, Mr. Hayden, and the critical issue was agreed to be um, whether or not very special circumstances exist. Um, because uh, St. Albans were had undergone a Regulation 18 consultation, uh, this was a case post, uh, as a result of the new um, MPPF, of applying the four-year housing land supply, not the five-year. So it's interest, this, this is an interesting early example of that. Um, but in the context of the main issues here, and uh, Rob, can you just bring up the plan to give everybody a, a little sense? Colney Heath was described as a small nucleated village composed of three triangular clusters, and the appeal site lay to the south of one of these um, clusters, and you can see there um, the, the layout. So the inspector identified the main issues, impact on openness and purposes of the Greenbelt, number one issue. He noted that the site comprised of a dwelling and some stables. So the existing built development was only 3.8% compared to a developable area of about 52%. He judged that there would be a significant impact on openness and that this site was visible from various roads and public rights of way and that it made an important contribution to the rural setting of the village. He felt that with regard to purpose, um, it would be a significant incursion on urban development into the open countryside, and so he found substantial harm against that key, one of the key purposes of the Greenbelt. With regard to landscape character and appearance, this is an example, and I think actually your appeal decision, Charlie, is another example. This is an example of an inspector disagreeing not only with the appellant's LVIA assessment, but also some of the um, planning judgments that the council reached. And so in this respect, the inspector took a 
harsher line than even the council uh, had taken at, it, with regard to some of the uh, the viewpoints. And so uh, I'm afraid again, this did not help uh, 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 the uh, the appellant at all because he found that there would be substantial adverse effects from various viewpoints in year one, and that would reduce to only moderate uh, impacts. But that was still more than uh, the appellant was uh, um, advocating. There was also uh, an issue about the effect on designated heritage assets, although that was regarded as very minor because in 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 the relevant part of the site, the developer kept the, the levels down low and promoted bungalows um, in that location. So that wasn't that was a less than substantial um, impact, and the the planning balance um, didn't go the the wrong way, as it were. Interestingly, there was another point taken about whether the site was um, sustainable in transport terms, and there were there were services within the um, village. There was a preschool, primary school, post office, shop, hairdressers. You had to go further afield for secondary uh, employment uh, and healthcare. But what really bothered the inspector was the cycling provision, which was quote incoherent, indirect, and unsafe. And secondly. He thought that the access to um, medical facilities was inadequate, the public transport access. There was no direct bus service. You would have to catch at least two buses. And so he took the view that whilst those two aspects were not sufficient to warrant refusal on their own, they nevertheless were enough to, to weigh against in, in sustainability terms the um, the merits. There were some other um, uh, issues, but they uh, highway uh, highways in terms of uh, the generation of traffic, flood risk, all neutral. He gave, notwithstanding the the, the transportation. Uh, sorry, notwithstanding the sustainability point, Charlie. Just to go back to your point, he gave very substantial weight to the open market and affordable housing. He gave substantial weight to custom build moderate weight to the biodiversity net gain. Um, there was also a little interesting argument about pre, uh, the fact that there was a bit of uh, the land was PDL. He said, in terms, when it comes to Greenbelt cases, either if you're PDL, you're within 154G exceptions, in which case it's not inappropriate development. You don't need to prove very special circumstances. But it wasn't an additional point uh, to w to be weighed in the planning balance in a positive way, if like these appellants, you were way out of one five four G, and they were relying on an appeal decision in a case called Maitland, but that was not a very special circumstances case. So, uh, all in all, for very clear reasons, uh, no very special circumstances, contrary to the development plan, refused. Thanks, Mary. Interesting case. Uh, now, Paul, you're going to take us to Basildon District and my senior clerk's hometown of Billingham. Uh, yeah, which I'm told is in Essex. I looked at it up three times before I opened my mouth today. <laughs> uh, uh, and it's a decision of Mr. Inspector Jonathan Price, uh, who obviously shares a name with one of the country's greatest actors. Uh, and if you ever want something to entertain yourself, listen to the outtakes of War of the Worlds, where Richard Burton cannot pronounce the word Billericay. Uh, and he pronounced it Billuriki, um, with the emphasis on the I. It's fantastic. Um, but this is a four-day inquiry which took place in December of 2023. The opposite end of the spectrum is the one that you described, Charlie, 
because this is where the inquiry closed on the 19th of December. There was the opportunity given for the parties to make written reps on uh, MPPF, and the decision was issued on the 23rd of January. So this is razor sharp on the part of uh, Mr. Inspector Price, who dismissed an appeal for a residential scheme in the Greenbelt, uh, outlined consent sought for 150 dwellings uh, and a 50-bed care home on a site called Potash Road, just outside Billericay. Um It's an, a non-determination appeal, as you can see from the head note that's on the screen. Uh, there were four putative reasons for refusal issued. By the time that the case came to the inquiry, there were only two, two left standing, one of which was whether there was mitigation proposed in respect of uh, uh, ecology, um, and beautifully described just before uh, paragraph uh, 23, I think it is, is the uh, the headline uh, of the whether there's an adverse effect upon the dormouse, uh, the use of the definite article. Presumably there is a singular dormouse uh, who needed protecting, um, which I guess is, is one of those typos for which uh, uh, some correction needs to be made in due course. But the real issue is very special circumstances. And uh, spoiler alert, this is a case where um, the inspector concluded uh, the very special sp circumstances were not made out and that the impact in relation to Greenbelt um, outweighed uh, the needs um, which have been demonstrated. Now, wh why does that make this interesting? It makes it interesting for a couple of reasons. The first of which is um, the need was 1.5. There was only 1.5 years of market, general market housing uh, as against a five-year land supply in that case, even post-MPPF. Um, there was a, an affordable housing shortfall uh, accumulated shortfall of 4,841 against a likely delivery of 76 in the next five years. And there was also an established need in relation to um, uh, care home occupation in terms of meeting the needs of the elderly. In other words, a gross failure of the development plan system to plan for the local needs. It was a substantial need. And the inspector described it as a substantial need with no real likelihood of it being addressed in the development plan anytime soon. And this is a site where there's no public right-of-way crossing it, so there's no real visual impacts on the green belt, well-screened. In fact, it's only described as having visual effect, but that there was a substantial landscape character effect and an, a substantial effect on the openness of the green belt. And it follows on, and this is the other interesting thing, from no less than three previous appeals where um, the needs which are described there um, uh, 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 were considered to outweigh the harm to Greenbelt. Those are sites at Kennel Lane, Maitland Lodge and Dunstan Road um, uh, between, uh, where are we, 2022 and December 2023. Um, so it's a run of those those cases where there had been successes in demonstration of very special circumstances on a case where it's reasonably well enclosed, um, but it's post the new MPPF. And it's difficult to avoid the inference that the reason why there was a difference of view taken there was firstly, obviously site-specific, so every case will depend on its merits, but also the increased emphasis about not releasing Greenbelt to meet needs. Um, who knows whether or not this is some sort of sea change in relation to the way in which the planning balance is uh, drawn, but it is quite startling that it comes after a run of three on the bounce. So an interesting case, and happily, the Dormouse is safe. Thank you very much for the single one. <laughs> now... Um... I do like the comments. Somebody said, Chris, they found something you said quite funny. Chris Young, he was quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> Over to you, Sasha, to introduce our guest. 
Thank you very much. Before I do, I just I forgot to tell you as an aside in my um introduction that I travelled all the way to Doncaster today to see part of my horse that I own run. And I went to the paddock, saw it, and then the race was promptly abandoned. So a really worthwhile trip to watch the horse for ten seconds before the race was abandoned. So which, which part do you own? About that. Sorry? Which part do you own? Um the little toenail on the left hoof. How the other half there, though? I was yeah. going to say, the trials <laughs> and tribulations, goodness me, of horse owners. <laughs> anyway, he, actually, when they all saw me, he did um, did seem a bit perturbed, which wasn't very encouraging, but there we go. Um, Grant, delighted to have you. Thank you so much for coming on, and it really is great to have one of the doyens of, of the planning system on. Have we got planning news for you? And I just, I should introduce you. I think it's fair to say you've had an incredibly distinguished career, principally in local government. You graduated from Newcastle University, and it's quite impressive you lived to tell the tales of the 1980s in Newcastle, being a student there. One night we'll ask you about your memories, or whatever remain of the memories. But then you obviously went into local government. You had huge success. You became head of planning at Nottingham. You then went to Liverpool, where you had the misfortune to work with Paul at various stages, as I understand it. And then you went to Leicester just in time to see the Premiership arrive in 2016. And you've been head of planning for 10 years there. And I think it's frankly worth saying an extraordinary career. So let me just ask, I'd obviously like to ask you a few things about, um, you know, about your professional career. I've given the hard bones of it, but just give us from your view. Put some fat on those bones, please. Well, yeah, thanks very much, and it's it's great to be here. Yeah, I I enjoyed my five years at Newcastle. I enjoyed my year out at North Tyneside, and I think I probably learned more in the year out than, than I did in the other four years, if I'm if I'm honest. Um, yeah, I, I came to Nottingham um, uh, expecting to stay a couple of years. I think that was in the, the late eighties, um, but really um, enjoyed about twenty five years here. Um, and found um really worked through a really interesting period. I mean, the the early days um, was very challenging in terms of riots, and in the the, the inner city uh, regeneration challenges were huge. You learned a lot from working in things like the inner area program, and uh, very formative times. And I really enjoyed working in like multi multifunctional teams. But I became, I guess, um, more focused on city centre work and transport work and one of the biggest changes in that I experienced in the career is when Nottingham gained unity status. Um, so we really took over strategic planning transport from the county as was and and really had a, had a great time uh, looking working with uh, some great colleagues, um, re, reconfiguring the city centre, dealing with huge uh, interesting challenges like the, introducing the tram, workplace parking levy and actually trying to integrate planning and transport um, that was a big. It remains a big passion passion of mine. I had a couple of years in Liverpool. That's um, that's a couple of years in Liverpool. I had a planning's like dog years. It came to almost like ten years really. But I really enjoyed my time up there. But came back to the Midlands and actually I can't believe I've nearly been in, in Leicester for ten years. Um, great city. Um, and for, I, I guess I, yeah, I'm, I've I've been very fortunate to work in three cities um, where the amazing assets. But amazing responsibility, I think, to actually, I guess, look after the and, and look after the sort of stewardship of those cities, and again, try and facilitate growth in a way that really respects those places. But yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for your kind words. 
Uh, and tell us why, what led you down to studying planning and making a career in planning. What, how come? Uh, I guess that goes back to Rochdale and my uh, step-granddad, um, David Blore, was the borough planner of Rochdale. He was a very, uh, he was a great guy. He, he um, very, a lovely man, very, very capable, qualified. I think as planner and architect and a surveyor. Uh, and 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 again, I found him very um, inspirational. And uh, so he sort of, I guess, uh, he piqued my interest. He also used to drive a gold-coloured Capri with metallic finish, which was very impressive to a young, uh, <laughs> a young, young, a young um, impressionable ten-year-old. Um, I, th- I think, the, uh, but I do remember. Uh, we used to, I used to go to the market with my mum, and um, and actually, I remember when the market was redeveloped in the. I think it was in the early seventies. I was really intrigued by the sort of change and the and the and the scale of change, and I just thought this is. I guess I find it quite disturbing, and and I just thought this. How how does this happen? I remember it affected me quite a lot, and my, and David was working on that. So I guess I was I was inspired by him, um, and and again, I I, I I've never regretted it. Mm. And tell us now. Let's let's go to the present and and this about your planning department and the challenges that you're facing at Leicester City. What's what's what are the things that are causing you most sleepless nights, if anything, frankly? <laughs> well, I, I, the city is a great city. I, I guess um, it's um, I guess we, we it's very the, the boundaries are very tightly drawn. Uh, we got. We, we, the, I guess the policy challenge for us is obviously how do we accommodate growth in a way that respects the heritage, two thousand year old history of Leicester, you know, Roman city, twice as old as Liverpool actually, you know, really a really fascinating place. Um, so getting good growth, managing urban design um, in a way that actually uh, respects the place but also allows the place the space to meet as, as much of our needs as possible is is is, is really important. Um, but all that relies upon having having really good staff and I guess I think the, the biggest issue for me I think is is actually you know retaining and 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 getting good staff so I think it's a national issue that's um, that's problematic for everybody um and I think the I guess one of the things that we have to do in terms of making sure we I guess just can can deal with the the challenges of of, of the, the development pressures is to is to work in in, in close partnership with 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 you know with with districts in the county and, and to actually manage those those growth pressures in a way that actually allow us to make the most of Leicester, but actually retain its character and make sure that we um, we deal with that growth in a responsible way. Um, but in terms of losing sleep, um, <laughs> I think the biggest issue I think is 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 staff and, and I guess budgets as well. Obviously, the 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 the, the uh, our income has not recovered uh, from COVID. I think like most of most other places, I think the economic conditions are really problematic and challenging um and that does that does put pressure on all councils from us i guess a corporate perspective as much as a as a planning perspective well just tell us because obviously you've now had quite a serious length of time as head of planning are resources relatively significantly diminished from 10 years ago when you started uh, uh, I'm, I'm re- i think in leicester we're really fortunate um uh, that we we've we've managed to um, protect resources um, at the moment. We're trying to invest the the planning fee uplift in um, in 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 effectively regrading the planners within the service. Um, uh, so we we and I think that's a lot of that is down to the the, the political leadership who understand I think and, and appreciate the importance of planning. So I'm very fortunate, been very fortunate in Leicester. 
I, I, I can't I can't say that's been the case everywhere. I've had to deal with you know difficult situations in in other places where I've worked, but um, I, we've managed to uh, sustain our resources. But I, I, I do see some uh, pressures elsewhere, um, locally and, and further afield, where um, where again I, I, I think it's probably the worst I've known in terms of financial pressures on councils, um, and that's actually quite can be quite draining. I think I think there's also there's there's, there's a sort of a there's a there's a I guess uh, the health and well-being aspect to it as well. It, it worries people, and again, we I think the the nature of how uh, the uncertainty of things like section one one four is around the corner, and how 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 people can be confident and in their in their careers and their professions. Um, it, I think it's um, it's about understanding that there are actually personal pressures as much as the professional ones. So yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough. Just tell us so practically. I mean, if you get a reasonably senior member leave for whatever reason how how difficult is it to get a, a suitable and appropriate replacement in the current climate uh, almost impossible in terms of the the experience people with experience i mean if you think about the nature of having to negotiate i don't know a city center scheme which is a is a you know a challenging scheme controversial um and and again the complexity of planning and the complexity of the evidence the complexity of our world it didn't used to be that long time ago but to be able to marshal uh, and, and master those, you know, those competing demands and deal with the technical aspects, reconcile the competing uh, pressures of those technical aspects, and uh, I, I think that I think planners are planners are, are very good at that. But actually, getting people who are experienced enough to manage uh, manage those pressures comes to the right judgments. They've got to be resilient, you know. So I think I think. So what what we've what we've been doing we 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 grown our own and I think we're very fortunate to have some fantastic graduates who are already stepping up to the plate in terms of taking on major applications and dealing with senior dealing with you know the, you know, moving up to that sort of senior level um, because I think everybody's looking for the same looking for the same uh, sort of cohort of experienced staff and we struggle to compete with um, uh, with 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 the, the private sector rates I think. Um, so yeah, it's um, it, it's it's very tough, and I think, but I'm, I'm sure we're not the only ones to 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 say that. Well, it definitely seems a, a recurrent theme. Now, tell us what about the um the mayor, you know, that you've got. You, as I understand it, you do have an elected mayor, and they obviously have an influence on the plan department. I know you have to be slightly cautious, so you don't get a visit at about nine oh one tomorrow morning. But just tell us broadly what what's your impressions of that. I mean, I, I think the elect, elected mayor, as long as it's got the right geography, that I guess having that focus, having that the, the resources, I, I think is really is really really powerful. I mean, we're very fortunate. I mean, Sir Peter Salisbury, the elected mayor in Leicester, actually was made only an honorary um, member of the RTPI um, about a few years back. Which so I mean, he gets planning, he gets um, heritage. Um, uh, so he he actually, I, I think he's, he's. I guess there's two answers to the question. He's got. An extremely active role in the strategic planning, um, uh, the strategic planning uh, aspects of the of the job. I mean, only only this morning he signed the he personally signed the statement of common ground in respect of our unmet need. Um, so, in terms of uh, representing the city within the partnership that I mentioned earlier, on, he's he's front and centre of that. Um, but obviously, he's very careful, very scrupulous not to get involved in the quasi judicial aspects of, 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 of development management and planning committee. Um, but it, I, I, did, I did find myself sometimes get a bit embarrassed because if we're showing people around the city, his knowledge of the heritage and the history is, is better than mine. So I just, I just, I, I, 
I um, let him uh, let him actually, I guess, represent some of the the, the knowledge of the city. So, uh, but I, I think a lot of that comes down to politicians. Who, I guess, if you if you've got stable politics, he's been around quite a, a long time. Then you can, I think, that becomes a really a really powerful thing. I, I I'm glad I don't work for an authority where there is um, a third, a third, a third, where the membership is changes such a lot because in order to be able to do good things, difficult things, it takes time. So I think having a having a stable leader uh, does 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 um any dividends and what what just let me ask you what in terms of your obviously you've been at local authorities for a significant period of time what's been the biggest change in members that you've noticed um i think um i, I suppose the the nature of things like elected mayors do change the context for the uh, the rest of the membership um and uh, but I, I i looking at i guess the different models of um uh, of, of, of leadership, um, I, I think the, the the obviously politicians are going to be ambitious. They want they want to be able to make a difference. And I guess there's there's things like the new the new Devo deals, the new combined authorities. There's there's a, there's a massively changing context, and I think that actually is um, uh, is I guess is is changing the the roles, and that may be changing the nature of people who are who were who were drawn to get into politics. I mean, if you think about the um, the the I guess that what what used to happen when I started, members would go be on committees and you get you become the vice chair of a committee. There'd be progressions, become quite an experienced member. You then become a chair of a committee. So there was actually I think that that sort of uh, that that I guess that career progression for for councillors I think has actually changed very significantly. I think actually to some some to some extent that's actually quite a problem because you might find that the more ambitious career politicians feel that actually. Uh, there's a more limited limited scope of uh, roles at the, at the top table, I guess. So that um, you know, I, I, but I, 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 yeah, the, I think the the nature of the nature of politics. It's always been a political job, and and again, I think you, I've, I've worked with some fantastic politicians throughout my career. Mm. And now, tell me about the future. Look into the future, and again, with the benefit of of your experience, what what do you see as the kind of the key problems that you're likely to face in the next five years in your department? Uh, well, that's got more than the department. I, I guess I just think the climate challenge and the and the I guess the, the ecological challenge we're facing is absolutely huge. I mean, when you for a city like Leicester, things like retrofits quite difficult. Reconciling the built heritage with the environmental challenges is, is really really important. If you think about, it, there's big problems in terms of energy, big problems in terms of the national grid, the local grid distribution. Um, I think we're exposed to flooding risks. Um, so I think that I think I'd, I'd characterise probably the environmental challenge as being the biggest thing that that really the, that the, the country has got to get 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 to get on top of. And I think I'm, I guess I'm, I'm a bit disappointed by the nature of, of, of how the, the national legislation for decades has not really been has set has set that bar high enough. Um, so I think that's probably the biggest thing that my successors will really have to have to resolve, and and that's huge, hugely significant. Um, I suppose the other thing, more I mean, it's things like the, I guess, the changing nature of the city centre, the changing nature of how we work. Um, uh, yeah, so the, there's there's some really significant, I guess, planning changes that the, and in order for us to respond to that, I think we need to be we need to be open minded. We need to look at new technology. We need to look at um, look at what what uh, how other places are doing that better. Yeah. And what what do you think about in that context the new MPPF? I mean, let let's. Specifically, in the context of Leicester, what do you think about the approach of government 
to the housing requirement for Leicester? Is it fair, reasonable, unreasonable, too demanding? What's your view? Well, I promised myself I wouldn't swear, so I'm not going to swear. But I mean, I think in terms of the the, the city's uplift, you know, the 35 percent, I just think it's. I, again, I, I don't want to talk too too specifically about the city in terms of where we are in our in our in our process. But um, the nature of how the city's uplift, how that is expected to be met in cities that are very tightly bounded, that where the, the capacity isn't there. But it's also about the fact there's no real uh, sensible application of of I guess policy. You know, policy propositions in terms of housing demand and looking at how that how that should be met in cities um, across the country. And I think the MPPF, um, the only MPPF, obviously, with I mean, we, we're used to change and we'll deal with that change. But actually, I'm more concerned about what's not in the MPPF. I mean, things like what what do we do with unmet need in the context of what does this new policy alignment test mean that's going to replace the the duty to cooperate. Um, you know what's going to replace? How's the standard methodology going to be updated? I just think this this little MPPF is is actually a bit of a staging post to a much bigger issue in terms of the new planning system. And so I guess I and that's that's the real that's the real question for me as well is how is the new system going to be going to evolve? But I guess we've got another consultation to go through on the proper MPPF re- revision, which um, which again is I assume is going to happen sometime this year potentially. Mm-hmm. Potentially, what what about your own personal experience and duty to cooperate? Obviously, you're in very close proximity to other quite significant cities uh, and and administrative areas. How have you found the duty to cooperate? Well, I, I just think I mean, if you take away strategic planning, uh, which is a total nonsense, you've got to replace it with something. The duty to cooperate is is a really poor substitute for for proper strategic planning, where you align infrastructure with growth and plan things properly i mean so the duty to cooperate i think is 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 uh, is problematic um it's the sort of stop go thing actually is, is 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 difficult and harsh but actually you do need something that's got teeth in order for it to be effective um and what i would say is you know again we've managed to secure and we've got a really good planning partnership with the districts in the county we've secured and i think a remarkable level of agreement about how we want to take plenty of the the housing market areas forward. It's a nice geography, Leicester and Leicestershire. It's like a crystal. You've got a central city and chains around it. So actually, we've got a good planning partnership. The duty to cooperate, I think, we probably would have struggled to reach agreement um, on, on on how we deal with that without the duty to cooperate. But again, that's no substitute for for strategic planning. And, and again, um, I, I, I think it's... Um, I'm interested to see what you know what will replace it, but I suspect that we're not going to get an answer to that question quite quickly. Before I hand over to my colleagues, um, can I just ask you lastly? And this is a bit of a spontaneous question, but I, I'd be interested. What's your what you what are you proudest of bringing about? What what planning consequence are you proudest of bringing about? What building do you walk past and go, wow, Grant, that really wasn't a bad day's work. I I, I suppose. Um, I suppose it, I guess it's the, the the comprehensive approach we did to Nottingham City Centre. I think, I mean, I, I work for a great director called Adrian Jones, who had a real vision for taming the inner ring road, filling in the subways, pedestrian priority, bus priority, trams, uh, improving the station, providing the uh, providing a, a massively upgraded city centre. And I think the the funding that we got in the in the nineties as after Unity States has allowed us to make a huge difference uh, in a comprehensive way, but. I think um, uh, that I can't claim the same credit for the work in Leicester, but I think the Connected Leicester scheme 
actually is is as good, if not better. Uh, well, I think better in terms of its comprehensive nature. So, place changing the changing the nature of city centres in a way that actually just helps them become better places. Changing that balance, like the like the Town Hall Square in, in Rochdale, is that people may may miss that car parking at the moment, but actually that is a European standard square that actually people will be proud of. And I think I think that to me is is really what I I, I can point at a few things that I contributed to. None of it, none of it is down to me alone. All of it is down to working in 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 significant teams with great people who've got resilience, vision, creativity. So it's difficult to point at point at one particular thing. But thank you very much. Right, Chris, have you got a question for Grant, please? I have Grant. Good evening. Um, I think we all need to just acknowledge you're a bit of a planning hero, really. Uh, the greater the Greater Nottingham combined authorities, and then you're doing amazing work with the duty to cooperate in Leicester. You know, against all the difficulties, you managed to achieve that. And that really is my question, which is how much have national politicians made it more difficult to properly plan in recent years? Um, well, I, I, I shouldn't really, I, I guess the um, the nature of politics is something that we we work with. I, I mean. I, I, there have been, I guess, some positives. I guess the national fee increase is positive, and I guess the the Environment Act. I think biodiversity net gain is a really is, a, is going to be a real game changer. So something's going to take a lot of get around. So there's been some positives, but I just think that the the, the endless change, the endless change, has been really, really problematic for for this for the whole profession to deal with. And it's really interesting if you look at, say, some of the the scrutiny of, of, of committees at House of Commons. And I spoke at the House of Lords scrutiny committee. There's some fantastic scrutiny done at Parliament. Um, there's some politicians who look at look at the, the, the challenging things you have to deal with really, really in great depth and with great integrity. Um, and, but I guess that that doesn't follow through into into some of the policy making, which which is inherently political. So I think that never-ending change is probably the 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 thing that I would I would I would really has uh, made life m- most difficult. And what's interesting when you look at things like you mentioned the Greater Nottingham core strategies, we were working on those aligned core strategies for a number of years, and and actually what that did is almost like finish off the RSS distribution ten years later. You know these things take time to work through, um, and and I think the the problem when you when you're just refreshing, changing the the, the whole system uh, literally every year, uh, there's there's it's just it's, it is exhausting. And I think when you you know when you when you look at things like the white paper, I think everybody knew the white paper was totally undeliverable politically. Uh, yet there was still two and a half years of effort and consultations and eighty-three thousand responses. Um, and and look at where we are in terms of a third of an MPPF that's been presented that still isn't answering all the difficult questions. So I guess it's frustrating that actually direct change, ambitious change, quick change isn't isn't doesn't seem to be something that. That all I think that most governments struggle with it. It's not not a party political point. I think it's um it's a, it's a big and complex world. Um, but I think it, I'd, I'd tr- to have a bit of stability and to in- more incremental change, I think would pay would pay a lot of dividends. Interesting. Thank you. Right, right. Paul. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Journalists are the ones that are meant to speak truth to power. It always seems to be planners on the front line that are saying. Well, do you know what? It, stop reforming our, our our system and let us try and bed something in and get stability. Um, you know, regional planning abolishing that's a daft idea. 
almost as daft as Brexit. But, you know, who's going to speak that on a national stage? Um, so my question, uh, it was going to be about national development management policies. But now that you've said you do these tours around Leicester for visiting celebrities, and I've called visiting celebrities, I've been a visiting celebrity to Leicester for a long period of time. And not once have you taken me on a heritage tour. Not once have I seen the last Yorkshire King, who happens to be buried wrongly in your city, despite the <laughs> fact he's buried, been buried under a car park for 400 years. Not once. So I'll ask you the question. So you can apologise for that if you want, Grant. But um, more seriously, introduction of national development management policies are coming coming over the horizon. Is that the panacea for shorter examinations and a more straightforward system? Could we reintroduce special planning behind the back door? What do you think? And can we have a king back, please? I'll let Sam call that. I do apologise. I'll bring the guy. I, I'm, I was initially worried. I am worried by NDMPs to a degree. I think there's a bit of a democratic deficit if it's the Secretary of State just just determines everything. But I do I do think that there's an awful lot of duplication and and I guess standard policies that could be that could be could be could be could be sorted. I guess the, there needs there needs to be the space for sort of something that's spatially distinct. Moving right, I don't know, university towns, university cities, student accommodation. I think our suite, suite of planning policies that deal with uh, student issues in, say, uh, Leicester as compared to, say, Brighton as compared to Derby or York, yeah, they, they, they're not necessarily going to. So there needs to be there needs to be some scope to make them space to flex them spatially. I think. I think that the the interesting thing I did hear somebody make comment that potentially NDMPs could could potentially plug the regional planning gap, which I thought was really interesting. Where because there used to be obviously RPGs that set spatial spatial uh, uh, strategies for the regions, um, and actually you could look at maybe regional distribution. You got a national housing target. You could have regional housing targets. You could look at distribution. You could look at how you share that growth across HMAs within regions. And, and actually, so NDMPs may prove to be a, a, a route to actually do that. That democratic deficit point, I think, is really important because you, you've got to make sure that all the LPAs, all the partners, have, have obviously got a proper engagement in that. Um, so it, it, I think MDMPs potentially give a lot, of, a lot of power to the Secretary of State and the government. So that will a lot will depend upon what the Secretary of State and the government make of that power, I guess. But I think it potentially could be something that could begin to answer some of the some of those strategic planning gaps that we've got at the moment if deployed if deployed properly. Let's hope. Thank you, Grant. I'll just just add, just because we talked about it in the news update, it is in there, Grant, in Section 94 of the Leveling Up Bill, it, Secretary of State can make policy um, for use of land in, in England or any part of England. So it is suggesting that we could have regional and sub-regional um, provisions through the National Development Management Policies. Thank you very much, Mary. Thank you very much, Sasha. Um, Grant, following on from this theme, I wanted to uh, ask you about combined authorities. Um, so <clears throat> in the context of Lura, uh, which is continuing uh, the expansion, as I see it, of combined authorities through introducing combined county authorities, I wonder how effective, uh, uh, in your experience, these combined authorities are in terms of advancing strategic planning, um, and this sort of also plays to you know the the power that Chris has just noted, because um, these regions might reflect, uh, for example, Liverpool and City region. They you know they 
it's possible to have um, spatial strategies, um, perhaps set by um, by government. So anyway, what how how effective do you think these um, combined authorities are, um, and what what are you expecting in terms of take up from the the in terms of county combined authorities? I probably don't want to get too close into what's happening locally in Leicester, but I, I, the general point I make is that the the the, the actual the take up of planning powers by the combined authorities actually think is relatively low. So it's a bit ironic that actually I think the um, the, the the opportunity isn't isn't been taken up. And my big problem with the Devo deals and is that this shouldn't be about which areas are going to want to be engage in a political agreement with the government and they take up uh, special positions of uh, of governance. There should be a consistent approach to government. It should be, should be comprehensive. So I, I don't see any reason why. So I think you've got a bit of a patchwork quilt. I think you've got levels one, two, three, and four of Devo deals and different combined authorities that get different rewards from the government. I just think it's a mess, if I'm honest. I think it all comes back to me to having sensible geographies, um, and sensible governance related to their sensible geographies, and, uh, and as I say, I, I, I'm, I'm, I, I, I think the nature of, I guess, there's, I, so I voted against the um, the East Midlands uh, regional uh, new combined authority, and the 43 percent of people who voted um, didn't want an elected mayor, and where I live, um, mm. we're going to get one this May. Um, that's covering the whole of Derby, Derbyshire, Nottingham, Nottinghamshire. I don't see how that. That 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 role going to have focus and resources and going to be able to achieve things in a really in a in, in a way that maybe a more a more appropriately struck governance uh, would would deliver. If you look at the big cities, I mean, Greater Manchester is the only place that's really done strategic planning planning properly, and that's all down to the fact that they kept um, the Association of Greater Manchester Authorities (AGMA). They kept a strategic planning unit all, all after the ab- abolition of the Met. So. I get it. Just comes back to me. So you need to have a comprehensive strategic planning system that's properly resourced and proper government. And I, I, I don't think combined authorities are anything like as uh, as, as an effective uh, uh, a layer as, as maybe a, a proper a proper strategic planning system could be. Thank you very much, Grant. Thank you so much, Mary. Charlie. Um, thanks, Sasha. Grant, um, something different for me. I, I'm going to ask this. If you knew what you you do now, so if you had your knowledge and experience of your current self, but you could go, you were going back in time when you were twenty two, um, at the milk brand again, would you still go into local authority work, or would you choose private practice? Yeah, no, I, it's an easy question. Hundred percent, I'd, I'd I'd want to work public sector. Hundred percent, I think it's so rewarding. It is. It's. Um, I mean, the satisfaction of being able to sort of change places, be able to point at things that wouldn't have happened. There's also we we. There's so much effort goes into negotiating designs of schemes that people don't see the benefits of that negotiation. You see the end result of maybe years worth of effort. Um, you see the first scheme that comes in at pre Um you know, I guess yeah. So, hundred percent. It's a great question, Charlie. Thank you. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I would. I'd be in a bigger house with a bigger car, and but again, I'll change it for the world. <laughs> By the way, I love Leicester. I've had many, many a happy time there with um, John Edmund and Simon Stanley and then Chris May and the Marin, the former Marins crew. I think it had probably the best curry house I've ever uh, dined at on the Inquiry Tour, which opposite the station, which I gather is now closed, but. Uh, 
but there we are. One day I write the book of of curry houses around. By absolutely, that new man Grant. You can ask him the same question at the end: whether you know he, he, he thought it was a good idea to go to the bar, or whether he should have been a politician. Oh, God, I'll leave the questions to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm very happy with with my life choices so far. He says potentially. Well, uh, Sasha, back to you. Well, no, thank you very much, Charlie. That, I just want to thank Grant. That was absolutely superb, incredibly informative and interesting. Thank you so much for coming on and hope we will have you back in the future when you're reached even greater heights. Amen to that. I really enjoyed it. Thanks very much. Thank you very much indeed, Grant, from, from me too. Um, it's been uh, really, really insightful. We're now... Um, off we were going to come back in uh, in two weeks' time. So um, uh, we look forward to seeing you then. Um, and uh, for now, uh, don't forget your charity donation, please, uh, if you can consider that. And, and we'll see you in a fortnight's time. Good night. Take care. And there he is. <laughs> Thank you, Grant. Thanks, Grant. All right. Bye.